Hello and welcome back to In Conversation with Creators. For episode 6, I have with me my boss from my days at Taxi for Sure, a friend and also a marketing professional with 10 years of hands-on experience, Mr. Abhishek Mishra. He currently works as a marketing manager at a technology company in Sydney, Australia. Besides work, Abhishek is an avid reader and enjoys writing, playing cajon and throwing darts. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the podcast Abhishek. It's really nice to see you here and I'm happy that you finally came to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, likewise man. I think we got this podcast working against several odds. I was busy, then you were busy. But uh, I think the important thing is I really wanted to do it and I saw your previous podcast as well. I'm like, yeah, this this sounds like fun. So why not? So yeah, I'm doing it on a Saturday evening from here. <laughs> uh that's nice to hear. Also I think it's safe to say that uh, you are one of the best bosses that I've worked with. So why I say that is because when I used to work at Taxi for sure, uh, you made sure that I worked a lot, but at the same time I never was frustrated because of the amount of work that you gave me. And I think it's more to do with that you were strict when it had when you had to be strict, but at the same time you were really friendly. and even when i went on to later manage people in my life i always thought you know i want to be some version of abhishek mishra when i manage people you know so that people are always happy so i was hoping in this podcast maybe we can learn more about how you do that and you know see what it takes to be a good manager and a good leader so having said that yeah. <laughs> having said that i'll start with you know could you tell us a little bit about your background how your childhood was like and uh, where you <laughs> are from Yeah so uh I grew up in New Delhi and uh, I think I my childhood was what can be quintessentially described as uh, the middle class of Delhi in early 90s so service class family father had a government job mother was a teacher who had who basically decided that she wants to take care of her two kids who were quite a handful I have been told and uh, I think there were two things of my childhood which I really uh, think made me who I am today in my formative years one of them was my exposure to books and reading at a very early age so my father was himself an avid reader he still is and uh, i was all, one thing i remember is i was always surrounded by books or by books i don't mean like shakespeare or classics in that age because i was like 3 but my earliest memories involved you know reading a lot of comic books reading picture books reading things like tinkle readers digest and uh, what not so basically i had a very strong relationship with books i've been told i was one of those kids who would always prefer book to let's say television so yeah that was one thing and the other thing was uh, um this is actually two things put together which is one is music and third is a value system so my parents uh, i I'd, i'd like to think that that my parents gave us a good value system they were not to you know stuck about studying or anything else but they were more focused on making sure that we we are raised you know with a with the value system that sort of agrees with them and which was pretty much inappropriate but there were no red flags really so those were the two important aspects of my childhood but other than that i was a pretty normal kid i always had struggled because i was born a left-handed person but my family did not know that and they sort of forced me into becoming a right-handed person so so even right now i'm a left-hand batsman but i'm a right-hand bowler and that's why i have a really really <laughs> bad handwriting and it's it's kind of ironic ironical that you know i consider myself a writer or a content marketer but if someone sees my scribbles they would be like nah man you probably wrote this from your feet not from your hands so that's how bad my handwriting is right so when you say you were into reading at a very early age is it because <coughs> your parents were also into reading or is that something you picked up somewhere else uh no the the first part was because my father was a reader my mother too but my father was more avid a reader and then uh, he just made sure that i had books around me and but to be honest uh, i would like to think that i was also interested in books at an early age because he did the same thing for my brother but my brother did not turn out to be a reader until 3 years ago really so he never read as a <laughs> child he only studied and uh, but now he's a reader but uh, i basic i think it was both the things together a my father's uh, uh, effort in sort of making sure there are books around me if i want some book he would get it for me and then b uh, i also sort of picked up reading at an early age because i was naturally drawn towards it true so you mentioned that you know you 
were into reading at a very young age so when did this casual reading turn into a much serious profession and things that you do today like <coughs> when did that transition or when did the interest in content start for you yeah or was it something that happened over time uh i would like to believe yes it was something that happened over the time but at that time it was a very passive interest it's like think of a kid who likes to play football so they play football because they enjoy playing it they don't they don't think of becoming a professional football player until they are represented with the opportunity right so in my case basically i used to read a lot and i would read less of my course books but more of my story books in fact once in 12th standard during the board examinations uh, i was reading i, I had hc verma open which is a physics book and inside that i was reading romeo and juliet uh, by shakespeare it was a play which uh, which my one of my friends at that time told me that read it it's pretty clever and my mom caught me reading that and then of course that's a different story but uh, yes i read more and more as i grew up uh, and i was fortunate enough to be and this is very important that i was fortunate enough to be surrounded by very few people but people who knew what to give to a person who's reading books so luckily i did not grow up reading you know i don't want to use a negative word but i did not grow up reading uh, subpar books i grew up reading books which were both entertaining and which were not really you know your uh, like airport paperbacks so which later on sort of invested into making me who i am in terms of uh, reading interest or mental faculty or perspective of the world or humility all of those things um uh, in terms of content i did uh, i used to write a lot uh, in school as well but it was mostly you know that teenager stuff so the kind of stuff you grow up to be embarrassed about so it was poems it was i even wrote a short story i used to write uh, letters to some of my friends and uh, some of those things used to happen but i used to write i in fact i i used to write by diary every day so that was the most important part of my day uh, as a writer i used to write a diary from 6th standard till 12th standard i wrote a diary every day so i had like four diaries as a kid and then um, i until 2 years ago i still kept all my diaries with me but then i thought okay it's time to let the past go and then i sort of discarded my diaries because i didn't want to keep what them. you threw them <laughs> yeah i threw them i wanted to move on in life so you can't do so many throwbacks to your childhood at a day by day level because everyone had stuff like uh math is fun and you know i hate civics so <laughs> it doesn't have the same thing to tinge to it when you are you know 32 so i like yeah okay maybe i need to outgrow my childhood diaries but yes so uh, reading you happened a lot it was so long you could have <laughs> could have probably kept it like <laughs> I don't know why you would throw that. <laughs> uh, I think I just took a call randomly. So I don't want to get attached to stuff. I, I have this philosophy. I don't like to get attached to stuff. So I thought, okay, this is something I've been clinging on to since last twenty-five years. So maybe it's a good time to throw this stuff out. So then I, I did that. Yeah, just a just a weird challenge for myself. But yeah. So yeah. So reading, writing diaries, writing really shitty poems for that age, and uh, that's what basically uh, sort of. garnered my interest in writing but the important uh, thing was after the 12th standard and you know the norm in india at least in my age it probably changed in your age uh, was that you have to become an engineer or some something equivalent and i was a bright kid i took science and everything and my parents were very sure and keen that i was going to be one and i even went for one of those crash courses that teach you for iits exams and uh, but that's when i told my father that you know what i cannot be an engineer i hate the idea of becoming an engineer I want to do something in writing. That that was my. I still remember my words. It was so lame to come from a kid who was who's not a kid anymore. But I want to do something about writing because I enjoy writing. That's what I told my dad. And then one thing led to other. And then I did not do my engineering, but I did my bachelor's in mass communication. And I also did an English honors along with that because why not? And I later found out that half the books in my curriculum I've already read in my school. So that was a win-win for me as well. And once you did that, that's when you went. started writing professionally were you freelancing at that point or did you pick up a job and then you started full time or how, how oh was i was freelancing you? yeah i was freelancing a lot in my uh, graduation days i was again i was fortunate enough to you know run into some people who used to make uh, films and these are like ad films for small to mid size co- companies for example omega fans was one of our, one of their clients and they wanted me to come up with ad films for them and uh, yeah it was it was so much fun i i always kind of enjoyed writing but that was my first uh, first time i dabbled in writing scripts for ad films and then in one year i wrote about eight films that actually went to production and i was involved in the production process as well 
and then that's where I picked up. This is how camera works. This is what an AD does. This is, you know, at that time I used to work on a PD one seventy, and I I learned the basics of filmmaking, which were of which were of course more relevant at that time. This was two thousand five. I'm talking about, but I was a pretty rich kid in my college because I used to make some really good money from this uh, freelance work uh, <laughs> as, as an ad film writer, and which is exactly what increased my interest in copywriting and ad filmmaking. And then I interned with uh, some ad agencies. I worked with Euro RSCG as a copywriter, trainee copywriter for about four months. Yeah, and then. Uh, and then i finally started working with hindustan times as a content ma- i mean as a media marketer so not as a journalist but as a media marketer i used to write articles for brands and trends and uh, you know whatever was the talk of the town in, around that time and conduct interviews of celebrities business uh, persons and all of those things so yeah pretty pretty good role and that's exactly how writing went from a interest from an interest to something that i would do seriously and then eventually for a living as well got it so i think that transition happened very smoothly for you from writing to marketing right so <clears throat> you started your freelance jobs were into ads which is a part of marketing itself right yeah. very often when you talk about marketing people tend to think about uh, ad films or billboards and you know like let's do some digital marketing and things like that mainly talking about the distribution mediums where do you think messaging sort of fits in and how important do you think is messaging to crack messaging before you start f- figuring out where to put out the message well i think um, how do i put this it should not even be up for discussion that should you figure out the messaging first or the medium first the way the mediums are just a way to disseminate the information so and again buying real estate or ad space is not rocket science anyone can do that now we have you know algorithms that do that for you but how you utilize that the opportunity cost of that space is really high so as a marketer i always make sure i mean given the circumstances don't permit me to but i always try and put my foot down and say you know what i first want to figure out what i want to reach out to my end users with which include which is basically the messaging bit and the way i do it is again marketers come human beings come with a lot of bias and confirmation bias so i would like to think that oh it's uh, let's say it's a uh, It, um, it's a marketplace for second-hand clothing, for example, second-hand luxury clothing. So people would be looking at something branded and something cheap, and which is correct. That is not. I mean, there's no doubt about that. That's why we have the business model. But that's a business insight, and not necessarily a consumer behavior insight. You know. So and that consumer behavior insight or a latent need that people have, like it could be a need to belong to a class, which or to to a space which they think is beyond them. So they would like to be in by doing these things. it could be a need to impress it could be a need to you know uh, just try a lot of clothes for their instagram content for example so we as a marketer your confirmation bias will basically prevent you from seeing these things like what's the real reason for people transacting or buying your product so what i do for that is i normally try and conduct a primary research even if it's a small group so in one of my companies i've been i was uh, head of marketing for a gaming startup we realized that people had a lot of money on a specific date and time and then we started calling 100 people we did a 100 people project primary research asked them like 15 questions and at the end of it we knew that it's not because of payday that that day of the month was around 31st or 30th but it was for a totally different reason it was basically people would come together and the data that we were looking at was in such a manner that most of those week days were a end of the month but b they were also uh, long weekends so basically for gamers long weekend is a time to sort of put their uh, you know um, feet up and sit with a glass of you know their favorite drink and then put some money and play consistently for 5 hours it's like how i used to play um, call of duty as a kid or any other game as a kid so basically those insights are very important so i always make sure that i have insights and then the trick is to convert insights into messaging so people play games because they don't have okay this is i'm making this up but people play games because they don't have friends could be an insight but it shouldn't be the messaging like i can't run a campaign saying are you lonely why don't you play poker so <laughs> nobody would like that right so i would say something yeah. to the effect of you know make friends make friends online or you know find find friends uh, who enjoy similar interests as yours and then uh, take it to the next level compete against each other and all of those things and of course these are all placeholder statements but you see what i'm saying insights to messaging is a very important uh, step which a lot of people do not do thoroughly and then after messaging comes dissemination of that message like 
is it how am i going to say this on print or how am i going to say this in 10 words versus how am i going to say this in 40 seconds so then all of that is medium specific uh, customization which which pretty much is it's not very difficult a lot of people know how to do that but it's the first step you don't do the first step you do it wrong all these dollars are wasted pretty much okay so if say a person who's just say starting out in content <coughs> gets a brief like hey you know we want an ad to be written for app downloads so the person should not really go on to word or somewhere and be like hey you know download this app today you know rather they should look at who the consumer is and then figure out what the messaging should be and never be the first step should never be to start writing the ad right away no nope. is that right that's correct that's why briefs exist you know briefs are a very powerful thing which have which are often underrated uh, by a lot of people including marketers so for a, for a young person starting out and there's no difference between when i started out and in today's time we have a lot more data to play with or a lot more data to evaluate as a marketer so if i were working for a company that ha- and i have to write an app download campaign i'd see what's the how what's our current user like like what if if i get to see them in let's say google what's the age group or what's the demographics that interact more with with my ad what's my user persona and then try and find local like audiences for example and then run campaigns for them so there's a lot of innovation that you can do with data as well so now data does some, some of the thinking for you you don't have to do a lot of primary research in a in a transactional campaign in a brand campaign i would still advocate yes to that research and to find that one insight for example and that's what agencies charge for so much so just just go with whatever you have don't try to make this into blow this into a full blown fancy project if you have five things that you can evaluate evaluate shit out of them as much as you can and then come up with one or two or three things and then do a trial out okay i have 100 dollars i'm going to put 15 in one and then 25 in the other two because i feel this first one is the biggest insight that i have for running my campaign for example i don't know if you remember when we were in taxi for sure we had this insight that uh, uh people think taxis are very costly because there's an age old uh, mindset that you know calling a guy with a car is like 300 400 rupees so using that insight we did not run with saying that you know taxis are cheap no because that'll be very vanilla we ran a campaign saying taxis starting 49 rupees which was a psychologically mm-hmm. cheap price point like it's like the price of two uh mcalo tickets you can get a taxi in that much money and that was a growth hack for us pretty much we got so many new users on board it and of course you can incentivize that further using referrals and what not so that's a very good example of how you convert an insight into a marketing campaign got it uh, so moving on from there uh, can you tell us how brands can leverage the power of messaging and share some insights on your writing or thinking process so frankly there's no one size fits all here when i write or when i create a collateral for a brand or you know for a campaign i i basically have one or two questions that are consistent first what am i trying to achieve with that which is a very well defined definition of metrics for example as many app downloads as many app visits or i want to improve my retention funnel by 10% for example and the second thing is if i don't do this what's the worst that can happen and this is a very good question to ask if for everything that you're doing because this this basically separates the wheat from the chaff are you doing things which are good for vanity metrics or are you doing things that would make you look good in an award function or are you actually doing things that would further your business and improve your pnl so these two things and of course i speak with the business when i'm trying to figure out the answers to these after that what i do is i again like i said just now i look at what all data i already have at my backend core and the beauty of doing that today as opposed to 10 years ago was i can miss, i can do so much research on my consumer behavior using some tools so I use a tool called SEM Rush which is basically a keyword research and a domain overview tool. So I know who is my who actually my user persona is and who are these people and you know what keywords are they searching for. So keyword is a very important research right now for a paid I'm assuming we're talking about a performance marketing piece and not just an article let's say. So that's my first level of research I do that. And the second level of research I do is I also analyze my competitors keywords. which i can get through platform like sem rush and the other thing is i can get through my google ads bidding console as well i can see what keyword is uh, ranked most and the third most important thing is and this is where most marketers are unable to sort of or let me put it this way this is where a really good performance marketer takes the leap uh, people search the same keyword in in multiple permutations right so let, okay let's do an example let's say i am a, i'm in a company that sells uh, uh, bicycles you know bikes uh, through through uh, an offline store for example so if someone is searching for bikes in my area then there's of course a location based ad that i can run but the important difference is when someone is searching for bikes 
uh, bytes under 5000 rupees let's say that's the search keyword and i'm bidding on that keyword so my messaging should not be a vanilla messaging like we sell good bikes blah 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 my my first headline should be bike starting 199 for example because that's what they're searching for they had a question uh, you answered that question at the top and then subconsciously they wrote they put you in the yes bucket of their mind not in the no bucket and this is very important but at that time if you say best bikes in town then they would put you in a maybe or a no bucket because you're still not answering what their mind is searching for so that's a very important distinction and that is where the mm-hmm. power of you know targeted ads and targeted ad copies comes into the picture so you do that for example if someone is searching for uh, uh, let's say you want to highlight the point that uh, you do 30 day returns so you find out what keywords are most relevant for that or who is the user who would see 30 day returns for example if i'm trying out a new bike i might have my reservations so i would be like i would be happy or i would be more considerable considered about that bike if i get the promise that you know what if you don't like it and of course if you don't break it we'll take it back from in 30 days and we can give you cash back as well so these small tricks work and i'm of course talking specifically about google so one is finding your keywords and finding what your competitors are bidding on and of course their messaging as well and the third thing is for each keyword or for each long-term keyword or a uh, you know a phrase match make sure that you copy answers that phrase match in their in in the in the heading and the description so it's a lot of work i know you have to run multiple ad copies but that's exactly what you know makes it a makes it a win for you as a marketer got it but it sounds really complicated like i'm pretty sure it's uh, something i can't really pick up in a day or two i think it requires years of experience to really figure out how you should approach something like this no frankly a lot of people do this the wrong way they think that knowing how the platform works is the more important thing i'm afraid not because platforms like google facebook linkedin they are basically facilitators a lot of people can learn the tool but they still not have the understanding of human psyche or consumerism so those people aren't the right users for it so the value you have as a marketer is your is the usp here it's not the platform really it's just a means to an end for example if a in a triathlon when you when you win or let's say in a bike race it's not the bike that won anybody can ride a bloody bike right you won because you were on that bike so think of it the same way a lot of people get bogged down because they are not really able to be hands on with google which is fine google changes or any ad platform changes every few years if you look at a google ads account from 5 years ago it will probably look 20% similar to what we have today so that's fine as far as your 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 thought process is correct align everything according to that that's that's the advice i give to everyone who's you know picking up digital or programmatic that yes learning the platform will take its time it took like i'm still learning i've been using google since 7 years now but of course every day you have to learn something new to stay relevant but don't let go what you already have which is basically a marketer's perspective or some of it is common sense really it's not like a a very technical thing but think of it this way in real life and there's one other you know a very important distinction here when i'm solving these problems i think of one guy i don't think of the group you know i think of one guy who's going to a shop to buy a bike because people try to solve for a group but to be honest these keywords and queries they work on one because you search the guy who's searching you is an individual as opposed to a banner out which would be seen by a lot of people so you have to put a vanilla message but in a in a in a performance ad a guy searching for something very specific so think of that one guy when you're answering that question so and that normally works a lot lot better got it also i just wanted to ask you a little uh, something from a little tangent from here was it the same person that you are trying to write the messaging for how he behaves on a linkedin versus how he might behave on a whatsapp or tiktok is very different so how do you approach that do you have to customize your messaging per platform or should is there any better way to deal with a yeah. situation like this okay so it's a twofold response really i mean and the first most obvious thing is what google does is uh, google does most of the heavy lifting for you so if you tell google that these are my current audiences so let's say i have these i have a database of 5000 people who transacted from me in the past and i upload that list to google like their email id so google already has the information on how they behave on google google has your information as well like what you search what's your persona so they they have bots and algorithms making your persona and then they use that persona to find lookalike audiences so it's a lot easier on platforms like google or facebook because they know okay these are your target audiences by the way we have more people like these in your market or in your you know addressable market and we'll also show these ads to them if you want us to that's one 
but and the second thing is google has something called a pull app, pull advertising so i will see google ads when i'm searching for a search for a query let's say talking about search ads only right now and then of course you keep targeting me because you can track my behavior on internet you can keep targeting me with the banner ad on the websites i'm searching linkedin however has uh, something called a push advertising so in linkedin what I, the way i look at it is i look at uh, let's say i'm i'm a b2b company and it's harder to sell bikes on linkedin let's say so let's take a b2b example here if i am a b2b company that makes a software for uh, hr heads for example so then i can target on linkedin like people in this country who are hr heads and who work in companies let's say between 100 to 1000 people or 100 to 10000 people so then i target all those people and then give them something very contextual it could be it should be ideally top of the funnel content you don't start out rightly selling stuff so if i were for example uh, work day then i would talk about uh, five challenges hr leaders are facing in the pandemic and how to kill them in the grip for example so then i have something that 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 they are trying to solve in their life and in the process i establish myself as an authority or as someone friendly in the head your work they send me some good stuff and then you eventually nurture that funnel uh, nurture that lead through multiple uh, content pieces or blogs or emails and then finally when you qualify them and nurture them you decide oh i can now have a conversation with them about would you like to try us and that's what leads to a sale so with b2b it's a lot more detailed and nuanced than a b2c lead generation because i want a bike i'll buy a bike big deal but if i want an hr software i need to convince my ceo cmo cfo get the budgets get approvals run a demo get an approval from all the parties who are going to use it compare codes make sure they are compliant and then buy it so it's a more you know handheld journey for a b2b buyer and that's exactly where platforms like linkedin work and talking about tiktok and all um, or talking about other platforms in general so not all platforms necessarily are used for selling to a person that that's how i look at it this so think of it this way a brand should always answer the question when you people are not buying from you or not using you why should they even talk to you or how are you relevant for them so and that's and that's a very difficult question to answer so and some brands have nailed it pretty well so you know copy blogger the website so copy blogger mm-hmm. says it doesn't matter whether you buy my seat my program they have a paid course or something here's some free information for you here's some education content for you hubspot does the same thing hubspot says i don't care if you buy from me but i'll give you a lot of free stuff so the brands stay relevant they stay positively disposed in people's heads so and that's where we as a smaller brand or as a you know young company we can use tiktok or whatsapp for that for example if i were a if i were a movie selling website let's say a new version of book my show right so maybe i can share content about uh, make, maybe i can share reviews on uh, my whatsapp groups to people who follow me or maybe i can also share fun trivia or latest bollywood news in like one line or two line like one or two things a day because we know it's it's a safe assumption to make that people like to uh, be aware about what's happening in you know bollywood industry in india or in hollywood industry for that if there's a scoop there's a story so maybe that's how stay i stay relevant to my end user like you know what don't buy tickets from me we get it but here's some good content for you or here's some good videos for you so that that's where you use other mediums you know don't necessarily use them for selling so uh, i want to ask you something else over here so how do you measure the success so maybe you can't so how do you go about this so uh so you can claim that you know uh, by pushing out content people will read it and eventually they will lead to a sale but there is there any way to sort of uh, validate or justify that hey you know i need to create these five pieces of content because eventually somebody will convert so how or how do you approach something yeah. like that like so uh, i basically as a small team or as a marketer you have to pick your battle so i am personally not in the favor of running good to have content pieces unless you have your selling content pieces or selling funnels in place so my first job is to set up my email marketing my lead generation campaigns my landing pages and all of that and depending on how much bandwidth and resources i'm left with after that i look at those pieces so um, okay. let me put it this way as an influencer or as a tiktok celebrity you people expect you to put out something relevant every day or you know five times a week but as a brand relevance is what matters especially for a b2b brand and even for a b2c brand so they and there's this adage we use in marketing that you know if you don't have something good to say it's good to be silent as well so if i don't have any good content so i don't want to publish it for the sake of it and in terms of measurement uh, 
the first filter is your targeting so i make sure that i'm targeting to people who are my potential buyers even if they don't have money or interest or affinity for my brand right now it's okay so you keep engaging with your people as well and that's where the whole community piece also comes into play and the second thing is you define metrics for engagement separately and you define metrics for purchase separately so it's good to have a user base of people who have engaged with you so much and still not bought from you as opposed to not having any of these and having a few buyers and please remember both of these sort of feedback into each other and this is a classic case of that is influencer marketing if you realize they just do this bit and then brands approach them for this bit right so they don't sell their whole metric works on engagement that's how movies work right people like movies so they keep buying them on netflix or youtube or cinema halls so engagement is a very good metric to have but as a as a hustling marketing department or a hustling company i wouldn't worry too much about it i would worry about creating my first set of uh, maybe 100 users who have delighted and then wait for you know the product or the service or the experience to sort of uh, get more business for me got it also you just mentioned that uh, brands should not post for the heck of it so i have two questions from that so one is a almost everyone these days is like you know you should post at least three times a day on facebook on instagram things like that that is part one maybe they should not be doing this and second part of this was uh, when a controversy or you know when a social issue comes up should brands consciously attempt to have a stand in those things or they should probably stay in the background and be like you know hey not the best time to say something about this right now or when do you know which you should engage or you should not engage that's a tough one mate so okay the there's one thing for sure brands are a personality of or at least smaller companies our brands or companies are basically a presentation of their leaders or how the leaders think about those particular issues or people in marketing for example um and sometimes these things come very sporadically and very you know um, serendipitously like let's say there's a black lives matters protest going on somewhere in the uk and the us and there's a small company which in in that company let's say there are five people who have who are people of uh, let's say an african uh, ethnicity and they have been affected by they have been, they have been racially profiled sometimes so those five people would feel very passionately about this and what they put in that moment would basically be honest and would be real as opposed to people who have nothing no exposure who have not even a burning desire to share their version or not even a not even an honest care about the issue they just want in because everyone is talking about it but so let's jump into the conversation and there's a classic example i don't know if you saw the seen the uh, pepsi tv spot of uh, kendall jenner so pepsi did a tv spot in which uh, and this this is this basically substantiates what i was saying um this was around the black life protest in the same time but it did not talk about black life protest so the the ad film goes the people are protesting on the street and kendall jenner who's a very famous model is uh, doing a shoot in this near that area she sees people are protesting she uh, she sort of steps out of her uh, shoe and then she walks towards them and there's a barricade and the policeman she just grabs a pepsi and shares it with the policeman with the cop and then the protest ends and people basically it backfired so much on uh, internet people took pepsi for a right that oh you think black lives matter can be ended by sharing a pepsi with a cop you think that's how the world works how naive are you and then pepsi even tried to defend it for one day they said no we feel that community should talk and pepsi we're trying to stand by what we're saying but then what the world basically said was fuck off no it doesn't work like that so again trying to take a stand with a good with a model with all your money when you don't actually care about the world and you don't read into the sensitivities of the world it's better you stay quiet so don't speak for the sake of it as a brand is what i feel and of course it all boils down to the exposure of people who are working for the brand or the custodians of the brand if they don't know the nitty-gritties of black lives matter they should not be doing that if they don't know the nitty-gritties of how carbon footprints are neutralized it's good to not talk about that just for the sake of talking and that's exact and that's the reason as a brand marketer as a marketer you should be pretty well read about the issues in the world you you should know what politics you should know about crime you should know about global trends because if and when you have to have a conversation about about it or you know show your brand in the right light you should be able to do that one brand that has been doing it really well for decades and you can probably guess this one is amul so amul takes a very mm-hmm. disarming 
you know, very disarming and non-pretensions and very passive stand uh, stand for brands. And of course, it's emotionally appealing at times. Like when Vergis Curin passed away, they did a very emotive, emo- emotional post. But normally, they just they just convert things into a lighter moment, which is something people are okay with. It's like uh, mm-hmm. you know, comic section on New York Times. Like it's a it's a job for the creative people or the artists to convert events into a parody and try to give a lesson through them, which is separate than a brand trying to sell Pepsi on the back of Black Lives Matter. So it's a very fine line. There's no one formula really. It would be a function of the brand guy's personality and their exposure and awareness. But I guess one thing that we can take away from this is probably that no matter what you're trying to say, just try to be honest. Matlab, don't say something that you don't yeah. believe in. I think that's pretty powerful. In but also don't, don't also, be naive. Sorry, uh, it's not just honesty. I can be, I can feel that I'm being honest to myself right now when I feel something about Black Lives Matter. But that in the real world, I don't have enough information. So I can be honest and naive at the same time. So come from a position of understanding and honesty, not just honesty. That, that's the other thing. Got it. Also, since we spoke about Pepsi and uh, the backlash that they faced, what is your take on dealing with backlashes? Should you try to uh, come back with something or is remaining silent a better way to deal with backlashes what's your or should you just go ahead and remove the content piece altogether like what do you think is a better approach or do you have any thoughts on yeah that? no i do actually i think you should treat this pretty much like a conflict in your personal life if you did something wrong and someone tells you did wrong and there's very substantial proof that you are wrong you should own up. You should be the bigger person. Say, yep, I fucked up. I'm sorry. It won't happen again. And that's exactly what people want to hear. You know, a sorry can diffuse so many tensions. And especially when it's coming from a place of understanding that, yep, I was wrong. I, I agree. And that's one statement that, that can deflate so many egos that can get people to put their guns and shovels down. And that's what you should do as a brand. Instead of trying to lamely or half-assedly uh, defend what you did. And Pepsi did not do that, frankly. They, I think they came from a place of honesty, but again, naivety. So the, And this was done by Pepsi's in-house team. And agencies across the world chewed them and spat them out. This is why you should have an ad agency, because your in-house team might not be that creative or aware about what's going on in the world. So yes, they tried to defend it one day, but then they pulled off all their content. And a lot of brands do that. You know, you know what happened in Zomato SEO strategy, right? <laughs> Zomato ran an ad campaign, so their SEO agency basically ran campaigns on all keywords that were being searched and the the very unfortunate and scarring incident of Delhi rape case happened at that time and if you would search for Delhi rape case, Delhi rape and you would see ads saying uh, serving Delhi rape in NCR. So Zomato's SEO guy did not realize that this is a keyword they should exclude from their list and that backfired so much but Zomato handled it with grace. They accepted that yes it was, a, it was an individual's fault. As a brand, we don't we don't endorse it. We rather condone it. We are sorry about this. We are taking appropriate actions to make sure it doesn't happen. And we have pulled off all these ads. And that's it. People forgot it. Instead of saying, so what? It's a human error. Deal with it. Nope. None of that. They were honest. And they were genuine about their mistake. And that's what people want to hear. Got it. Also, I had a confusion over here. So very often people talk about brand positioning and brand messaging is there really a difference between both of them or uh, is it essentially the same thing that we are talking about well pedantically speaking these are two different things brand positioning and brand messaging so the way it works is you can control your brand's messaging you don't control your brand's positioning so brand positioning is something you try and come out okay this is where we want to be and this has so many verticals like you want to be a leader brand you want to be a challenger brand that's one subset Second is you want to be a brand for, uh, let's say, dink families, like double income, no kid families. Or you want to be a brand for millennials, which is target audience-based uh, brand positioning. And then price-based, value-based, there are so many positionings. But frankly, contrary to what most brand professionals think, you don't get to choose your brand positioning. It's, uh, it's something that chooses you and it's a function of everything else you do. And which is why the most important uh, aspect of a brand is that don't keep it theoretical. If you believe in something as a brand, Percolate in it in all your touch points, like we discussed just now. Your messaging should talk about being there for you always and not just a vision statement. So that's your brand positioning. Brand messaging is something that you control. And the way I look at it, brand positioning stays consistent and relevant for a longer time than brand messaging. So brand messaging can change when a company pivots their business model or you know they change what they do slightly and they appeal in a different manner. Like Google started with something else. 
but now Google's latest positioning and messaging is that making the information of the world available at your fingertips I mean, in some different words. But that's their messaging now. But it could change some in a few years, like making sure that your bot knows everything that you ever would like to know. Let's imagine Google Google starts launching bots which people can buy. So messaging can keep changing, but positioning something that stays relevant for a longer time. Got it. Also, uh, moving on from there, so if I'm a very small brand with almost no budget for running ads, what does marketing for me look like and how do I set myself up and what can I do till I have money to invest in promotions and things like that? Well, this is right up my alley. I've worked in too many startups which are frugal and cost conscious. So <laughs> I think I, I have some practical examples. And uh, frankly, there's no rocket science really. You have to do the basics really well. So actually, let's take some specific examples. Uh, first thing is, uh, and this is regardless of whether you have money or not, you should define your goal for a project, for a campaign, for like a quarter or for a year. What is your goal? What are you trying to do? Why are you in this role? Why are you in this organization? And while defining your goal, you will also define what you don't want to do or what you don't want to achieve or what's a good to have. So please make sure that you know what is not your goal and stop doing anything that pulls you in that direction because you will thin yourself out. And this is again the discussion we had previously. If you if your goal is to bring business, don't do TikTok, don't do Insta. Just just build landing pages where people can come and buy and make sure you solve the problem of bringing more people to that landing page, for example. So that's one thing. Figure out areas where you don't want to be. And uh, so what normally works for startups, especially consumer startups, is that people normally tap into their own network to find their first set of customers or early adopters. So let's say if there's a company of 10 people with low marketing budget and each of them knows 100 people. So that's a thousand people you can reach out to. You just need one or two people from the thousand to try your brand out or to transact with yourself. So tap into your network and try and build advocates from them. And of course, this basically puts you in a spot that there are people who are willing to try you, but then the onus is on you to make sure they have a good experience. And this is the most important thing for a small player. Even if you have five users or you have 500 users, you should focus on your first set of customers, change your product, change your app, change your use cases, depending on what feedback you hear from these people. Because some of your product or idea would have been based on a first principle or you know a research that probably doesn't isn't as insightful as talking to first 500 customers, for example. So make sure your first customers have an absolute delightful experience with your brand. And then, and of course, the zero to one formula is this, and then finding their, uh, you know, finding more users through them. Got it. Also, uh, do you have any hacks for being more productive at work? Because it's something that I have noticed when I was working with you, that you would always be very pumped to do things and you would be able to get a lot of work done from people. So is there anything that you do differently that helps you be more productive? Um, I think, again, there's no clever answer to this. There are just one or two things that work for me. Like I have a kind of a system. So one of my things is I start my day early. And by starting my day early, it doesn't mean I wake up at five. Nope, I don't. At least let's establish that. I wake up at a normal time and then I go to work at a normal day. But I basically make sure that I I know what I have to do before I kind of open my laptop. Because a lot of times we waste our first half hour or one hour in tasks that are not productive. It's kind of a warm up. So, but I, I sit on my laptop all warmed up in my head that, okay, these are the things I have to do. And I just get cracking. The second thing that really works for me is I try and do the hardest thing first in the day because once you've crossed once you've done the biggest or the most daunting task the other tasks seem a lot easier again it, it might not work for everyone a lot of people try to do you know the admin tasks to warm up and then take up the bigger projects of the day i prefer that before my first coffee i've done like the most important thing that i had to do that day so then you know the rest of the day you can have meetings you can have anything else but you, you won't be basically uh, worried because you did the most important thing you had to do or the hardest thing you have to do that day and there's of course more than one most of the days but I try to do these two things and in general I I don't know it depends on what the problem is what the challenge is I try and stay positive and uh, I don't sweat too much about work I just I think if you're in a happy place mentally you end up doing more work so I make sure my colleagues my team members and I are in a happy place so try to not create a toxic one work environment and if there's any negativity I address it I try and kill it in the crib with me, with my peers, my seniors, whoever. So yeah, those are the things really. Just, just stay happy and you, you pretty much do, uh, you work well if you're happy. Got it. Also has 
productivity in general gone down during the pandemic and do you have a way to work around it like people not being as productive as they were before when you were in person with them oh yeah it has uh, i think more than productivity the enthu level of people went down drastically and of course uh, you saw the pandemic in india i saw the pandemic in australia and uh, but yes you're right i think human mind works the same way so people were a little uh, down because the economy was down you know people were going through job cuts and pay cuts and uh, yes their overall these are it affects the morale of the people and then sometimes going coming to work is a big part of bringing your mind to work so it's easy it's harder for people to just to work from home routine i think it was the case with me as well so i mean this is a spot where i work this is the spot where i eat this is the spot where i do entertainment so sometimes the lines blur right and it can happen it it's very natural uh one thing i've learned and of course there's are there's so much content and videos and gimmicky stuff on how to increase productivity during the pandemic but again like most things there's a simple answer uh communication i think regular communication is the most important thing which you have which you should have to solve the productivity or the morale issue and i mean to get into specifics we do a daily stand up at 9 or 9:30 depending on when everyone is comfortable so that the team gets into that rigor in the morning you remember you see your colleagues in the morning on a zoom call like this and then you start the conversation going the second thing we do is we do one on one communication and it need not be between a manager and an a subordinate it could be between so i have six stakeholders in my current role right now i make sure i speak with all of them at least for half an hour once a week so and that call could be could be about not about work also so it's the small talks or the small catch up or water cooler conversations that people are missing when they're not working but if you can do that in a planned manner it really helps it helps people unwind and uh, because remember if you're if you're sitting next to me and if i want to discuss something all i do is i just i just turn my head and say hey you got a minute and you say yeah sure and then we do that but in work from home you have to ping them on teams or zoom or whatsapp then block their calendar send a meeting invite and then be ready for that meeting in your professional appearance and all of that and that could be daunting for people as well mm-hmm. so that's why the more you communicate with the team members the more you are at ease with them regardless of how frequently you see them in person and then of course addressing problems and then this is more of a manager's thing but if you see someone having problems at work or at home or there's something that is not working for them you you keep the communication really open so if i know my manager speaks with me you know every morning i can one day tell them that you know what i'm feeling very demotivated i don't feel like working can i can you help me and then he probably i don't know what he'll say he'll say yeah take a break don't work today don't apply for a leave or you know what tell me what i can do so those conversations are very important a lot of time people feel cared for when they have talked so it's good right now in the pandemic it's good to make sure that you're being heard yeah got it i think thanks uh, thanks a lot for sharing that i think pretty sure that will be helpful for a lot of people who are managing teams at this point in time Also can you talk a little bit about how marketing has changed from the time you started to how it is today? Oh. Oh you make me sound like an old man Gopi. Thank you. <laughs> so in the last 10 years that I've been working uh, marketing has changed drastically. I think first thing I see is that marketing is a lot more experimental the whole move fast fail fast approach than it used to be years ago like people would run a print campaign run an outdoor campaign and that's the drill pretty much and then radio and vernacular blah blah. and then uh, the other thing is the constant need for updating yourself and staying relevant which was a lot easier and a lot less uh, you know 10 years ago so for for example back in the days it meant you know stuffing keywords in articles or running flash ads or banner ads but today it means learning programmatic advertising influencer marketing video content generation So yes there's a lot the whole wheel is being reinvented again and again and as a marketer you should know how that's being done and the third aspect of course like any other domain is the uh, importance of technology so technology i would say has overtaken marketing now uh, with you don't see more you, you see more online marketing and more tech driven marketing and more you know event based marketing like if someone likes your page do this if someone checks out your uh, product do this which wasn't the case all those years ago and uh, the fourth aspect which is because of technology is that data i think data is god in terms of marketing now traditionally print and radio campaigns did not give any data on of course there was some data there was readership listenership viewership but there was not any data on intent or or any data on engagement if you know what i mean like yeah 
a mil we, we distribute a newspaper to 1 million people. So we think 1 million people saw your ads today. And yes, you will get some calls, but you cannot attribute. So attribution was always tricky in traditional mediums. But now with data, there's all that can be done so seamlessly. And of course, the automation piece as well. So yeah, I think these are the broad changes. And marketing has become a lot more personal. It could be something very counterintuitive. For example, it could be a, a you know, Kiki, do you love me? That's that's what it was, right? Like it could be a song, it could be a viral trend, it could be a funny video that brands can piggyback on to relate with their audiences, which wasn't the case really. Brands were, I would say, more brands were liberal in a more structured manner previously, but now anything can come from anywhere, and you have to be ready to spin it for your uh, benefit. So that's the other change. Got it. Also, moving on from there, uh, coming on to people who might be interested in pursuing a career in marketing. Uh, what kind of companies should they look at w when they are just starting off their career? What kind of skills should they try to pick up very early on in their career? Uh, are we talking about content marketing or are we talking about marketing in general? I think marketing in general. So I am somebody who wants to uh, get into a career in marketing at some point because I really find that interesting. So, but I don't know about the different kinds of marketing or different fields yeah. that exist. So as a just generic answer what should i be focusing on and what should i try to get yeah. better at got it so uh, i think that's a tough one really because marketing within marketing there are so many disciplines and of course they're always happy here's what i always tell when people reach out to me for advice like early jobbers or people who are just sort of college so see what it's very simple actually see what fascinates you most about marketing for me it was writing which led to performance in digital and everything and then website and seo got added but it was writing writing was my key defining moment key oh this is what i enjoy let's see what i can do with it so find out what that thing is for you it could be writing it could be designing it could be analyzing data it could be you know creating videos just figure out that one thing and this is very important do that one thing better than anyone else you know that's that's the most important thing because you won't be known as a you won't be known for your chief marketing officer skills early on in your career or maybe five years in your career but you would be known as oh this guy or this girl creates amazing videos or this girl or this guy has amazing design skills or i love the way they write articles so be known for one thing and then keep adding more layers to your skill set as you increase in your career or rise in your career or as your exposure increases but don't try to be the master of all trades early on in your career pick up one skill, specialize in it, you know, do the best you can in that and then keep adding more and more skills and of course staying upgraded and updated in that skill. That that's that's pretty much what I did and I think that that would be my advice as well. Got it. And also if I've just joined a company as a marketing manager, do you have any thoughts on what I should be doing in my first 5 days at the new company and what should my priority what should my priority be at this new place? Well, the answer is not something you'd like to hear, but in the first five days, don't even worry about marketing. You should worry about people because you need to understand the people you're working with, understand their problems, understand what is their expectation of you because you might come with your own biases and a very different picture. Like, I'm going to increase your TikTok presence. and But when you join, they say, we don't give a fuck about TikTok. We want 20% more leads next year or month on month, for example. So just, just in first five years, in fact, in the first month as well, just spend your try, time to understand things because a lot of people have this and it's very natural for competitive people or otherwise that we want to score an early win so that people like us, people endorse us for our skill set. But between that and failing right after that because you didn't get the pulse right and staying silent for one month, understanding and doing something that is really value adding or after two months for that sake, take the second approach. So. Invest in understanding people, problems, what is expected of marketing, what is expected of you as an individual, and then try to deliver on those goals. Don't have your own goals right away. And of course, if those their challenges are not correct, then, then you can correct them. But it's very unlikely. People who understand the business are the best guys to take input from for what should we do in marketing. So I normally do that as well. Got it. Also, uh, as we are moving towards the end of this podcast, do you have some uh, books or any recommendations on reading material that people can go through if they're interested in content or marketing as something they are interested in? Uh, I do. Actually, yeah, of course, I've read several number of books on, on the, or which have made me a better marketer. But frankly, I do not read books specifically about content marketing. 
I read books about psychology or consumerism or consumer mindset. So, uh, th- to think of some, uh, there's a very interesting book, and don't don't think that reading this book will have direct inputs into what you do as a marketer. But this would make you much better uh, person in understanding who we are, where we've come from, where we're going. So this is the uh, yeah, I can't remember the name of the book. Uh, Homo sapiens. Yeah. So it's a very popular book, of course, but I think you should read it as a marketer as well. Mm-hmm. because it tells you a lot about how the human mind and society functions the other book i remember reading is called uh, persuasion uh, not persuasion but p r e suasion it's again a very very good book about how to it's a book about mind tricks without i mean not in so many words but they just say like this is how human mind functions and this is how marketers have traditionally been gaming it or communication folks have traditionally been uh, using it to their advantage so that those are two books other than that even if you can't if you don't have the energy or time to read a whole book just stay updated on uh, pretty much what you're doing figure out who the best uh, people in the in the game are for that particular thing so for me i i have been reading copy blogger because content is close to my heart so i've been reading copy blogger since uh, last 7 years there's another website called zen habits which i follow it's by leo babota is again a very known guy who basically helps people become better it's it's self help but It, just reading it makes me so positive. I just I enjoy doing it. Okay. Uh, the third thing is I keep myself updated through all the certifications. So whether it's Google products or whether it's HubSpot or whether it's a technology that I'm working on, like I'm currently working on uh, uh, Boomi. So I'm I'm training myself in Boomi because I know what software my company is selling, so that I I can sort of create marketing messages around it. So staying updated through certifications, staying updated through books, staying updated through articles. That's that's what I would recommend. Got it. Okay, so I think now I'll just quickly run through three to four questions towards the end of this discussion, and uh, just wanted to get some thoughts on you regarding. Uh, so right now is a time when people brands have been producing content more than people ever have till now, and at the same time you also have this dilemma where you know people are getting addicted to devices, addicted to technology. So where does one draw the line, and what are your thoughts on content consumption and its effect? on the society well uh, okay how do i put this i think the whole addiction of uh, content consumption and the whole dopamine trigger that we get by watching quick content pieces it is it is kind of a beginning of the end for us as a, as an intelligent species and i might have a slightly harsh opinion on that but I think it's a big problem that we are consuming content at such a rapid pace because it's great for me as a marketer. Don't get me wrong; like I love it when people are hooked onto their devices because I can show more ads, I can be in front of their eyes more, I can have more captive audiences. But it's not good for me as a—I mean, as someone who just observes society. I think we are missing out a lot on human interactions. I think we are missing out a lot on, uh, uh, you know, re- on basically experiencing things that really make us happy. but the the sad part is because we get so much dopamine release in our heads by consuming videos of cats or puppies or babies we don't really worry about uh, anything else we don't we don't think about uh, you know what's going to happen uh, if we miss out on things like that got it um so i think that uh, sounds pretty good and i think i'll got get on with my last question which is do you have any advice for a younger abhishek mishra If you could go back in time and tell a younger self, hey, you know, do these things the right way, or you know, you don't do these things, or would you say you did everything right? You know, I think you should just continue <laughs> with whatever you are doing. Oh no, I I don't think there's anyone who's done everything right. And yes, I do have some advice, uh, but taking out the love advice, I think let's talk about the work or you know, personal advice. I think there's only two things I wish I could have done more as a kid, one or as a younger version of myself. One of them is. and this this might sound cliche but i wish i could have read more books and i could have uh, you know traveled more so uh, yes i did, i did read a lot i traveled but not as much as i would have liked to but i just think that you know the more you absorb in your hard drive in your formative years the better it is because now you have less time to read your books less time to travel you have to plan for things like holidays and everything yada yada so those are the two things and then the other thing was investing early so i started my investment journey very late not like too late to regret but Yes, it would have been nicer if somebody gave me financial literacy as well early on. That you know, start investing with your first paycheck, and don't really you know go to a pub and blow it all out. So that that's the other thing that I wish I could have told my younger self. Yeah. Got it. 
Okay, so I think that was a uh, great talking to you. And I think I have one small question before I wrap up. So I know you like to travel a lot, and especially in the pandemic, I don't think anyone's been able to travel. So what is the first place you'll go to once the pandemic is over, and you can just go wherever you want to? Well, Do you have a place like that? Yeah, but I hate to break this, but I've been traveling quite a lot in the pandemic as well because it's a lot different here in Australia. <laughs> so New South Wales, okay. where I live, is a big. Big state, and there are there are, like we went for a camping trip, we went for a swimming trip, we went for hikes, we went to a beach for a day stay and night stay and all. But yes, I have a list. Uh, I think the first place I want to visit is frankly India, because that's where the I haven't been to okay. India in the last two years, kind of missing India. But that aside, the next place we want to do is Japan. So we were kind of very keen to visit Japan in this year, but I mean in 2020, but then the pandemic hit. But Japan is the first place we would like to visit. Uh, my wife and I, yeah. Once the pandemic is over. Okay. So great. I wish you all the best for that, and <laughs> I hope you have a great time in Japan and India. And hopefully, we can catch up when you're here. And thanks a lot for taking out the time to do this. I know you have to be somewhere, and I took right. a lot of your time. So thanks for <laughs> bearing with me. No worries. It was incredibly nice to have you on the show, and. I hope we can do something like this maybe sometime again uh, later in the future. Yeah, no, it was it was a lot of fun talking about marketing. Frankly, took me down the memory lane, but yeah, I think it was a good chat. Let's do if you have anything else you want to do now later. I think we should do more of these things maybe in different formats. So, thank you for coming on the show and have a good day ahead, good night ahead. <laughs> yep, you have a good rest of the Saturday. Thanks, man. Thank you. Wow.